Amen. The book of Revelation, chapter 2, starting at verse 1. And would everyone please stand for the reading of God's word. Revelation chapter 2, starting at verse 1, you will find these words, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. For a few moments, I want to speak with you from the thought, the church's essential ingredient. The church's essential ingredient. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. This morning, we are taking a divergence, if you will, from our study of the Sermon on the Mount for a particular issue of importance, not saying what's going on in the Sermon on the Mount is not, but the Lord is leading me to look a little bit further into another aspect of the church's life. This morning, we're looking at the writings of the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As it relates to the church at Ephesus. One thing we must realize about the book of Revelation is that it's not just a book about future things. It's not just eschatological in nature, but it's actually an exhortation. The Ephesian church is a historical church, not a future church. Wow. 
But the master, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, has some words for seven churches that are also words for the church today. And so we see in our text, we see that Jesus said, write these things to the angel of the church at Ephesus. When you see these words, the angel of the church, who he's referring to is the pastor, the overseer, the bishop of these seven churches. So he's writing these things to the overseer, the pastor, the bishop of Ephesus. And the first thing he says is he says to them, these things say, he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. There's something important that we all need to recognize right there. In verse 1, we are alerted to the fact that there is no pastor, no overseer, or no leader of God's church who's not in God's hand. God gives the church pastors according to his own heart. And so that pastor is under the leadership, the unction, the auspices of God. For what purpose? To shepherd the flock of God. And sometimes in the life of the church, God has to discipline the church with leaders who are not so disciplined themselves. Remember the Israelites when they just kept on crying that they had to have a king just like the other nations. God never wanted them to have to have a human king because he wanted to be their king. He wanted to have a theocracy, not an aristocracy or oligarchy or any of that other kind of stuff. He wanted to be their king. But they cried and they mumbled. They just had to have things just like those folks out there, them other folks. They had their king. So God gave them a king. But we find that the king that they were given in Saul caused a lot of pain. But the people's disobedience to God set them up for situations for pain and anguish. But Saul was in the master's hand. Saul could go no further than the master allowed him to go. And so we realize that whoever God has placed as the shepherd of any local congregation, any church, God has allowed them to be there. Nobody's strong-arming God and putting anybody where they want them to be put. But God places that leader specifically for the condition of that church. And in his perfect will, he has a plan for his church. Amen? So we look at this text. And we see that he says, and he walks among the midst of the seven golden lampstands. What he allows us to see here as well is that in verse 20 of chapter 1, he says, The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, 
The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are which you saw are the seven churches themselves. So we see that God is not leaving the church alone. He has the leaders in his hand. He has the pastors and the overseers in his hands, and he's walking in the midst of the church. Whatever you go through as a church, whatever you deal with, God is still in the midst. God is not somewhere asleep, not somewhere not paying attention. God is watching everything we do. Whether it is things that are good or whether it's things that are bad, God is watching. So when we look at our text, God then contends to them. He says, I know your works. I know what you've been doing. I know what your labor is. I'm not caught by surprise of the works that you have done. He's saying, I'm watching you. So for every believer that's working for the Lord, even though men or women don't give you accolades, Know that the Lord is watching you. And that the Lord is accounting your works. And he will be the one to give you your reward. See, we get ourselves so twisted up and frustrated because men are not giving us pats on the back. But that's all right because men can't give you a heaven or a hell either. So we don't need to look for men's padding. We need to look for God's acceptance. And after a while, in the by and by, everything is going to be all right. Some say, well, that's a long time, really. Ask somebody that's on their deathbed today and ask them, do they feel like their life has been all that long? Life is short. Man, it's full of trouble. But the life that God has promised us is a life that there'll be no more pain and no more anguish. There will be no more tears. So let us work the works of him who sent us while it is yet day. Because when night cometh, no one can work. And see, the problem about night is everybody also has a personal night. And you don't know when your night is coming. It may be at 80, it may be at 90, or it may be at 20, it may be at 30, maybe at 40, maybe at 65. You don't know because tomorrow is not promised. You must work while it is called today. So this text goes on to let us know that he knows their works and their patience. He saw how they have dealt with issues and and being able to be patient and waiting on the Lord to deliver them and to move them forward as a church in a culture not so much different than ours today. They didn't have the technological advances that we have now, but yet humanity is still humanity. Whether it's in the days of Adam or in the days of the contemporary church, Sin is sin, and humans are humans. Amen? So he saw their patience. 
in dealing with the issues of their enemies and their perplexions. And he saw all of the works that they did in the midst of those who would come against them. He says, and he says that, uh, he says that you did it for my name's sake. I know that you worked in my name. I know that you were working to give me glory. And I saw it. I didn't miss your works. Even though folks were talking bad about you, scandalizing your name, I saw it. And I take note, and nobody can erase the ledger of God. So we look at our text, and he says, he says that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and found and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. The church at Ephesus, a special church of discerning believers who could recognize false teachers, false preachers, false apostles. Jesus said, y'all were able to spot a counterfeit when it illumined on the horizon. They weren't coming in Ephesus with any and every kind of doctrine. Ephesus was stopping them right at the door. And all of this is good news, ain't it, saints? That they were discerning and they didn't let all kinds of strange doctrine get in the church at Ephesus. But as we look at our text, he says that they didn't become weary either. They kept on working. They didn't sit down on the job. They didn't say, well, you know what? We're living in a time now that things are so bad. You know what? I think we'll just sit down. I think we'll just go to church and we'll sit in our comfort zone with other people who look like us and talk like us and worship like us. We'll just stay right there until the Lord comes. No, the Ephesus church was not weary in well-doing. They kept on working. But here is where the shock comes in. The shock comes in at verse 4. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. For emphasis of verse 4, I'm going to read the remaining verses of this passage and then come back and deal with verse 4. He says, remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. As we begin to unpack verse 4, let's look at what God also commended them in doing. In verse 5, 
he tells them that they have fallen, but in verse 6, he says, but this you have. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans were a people similar in thought to Balaam, the prophet. They were people who did not try to fight the church from the outside, but they fought the church from the end. The Nicolaitans were the ones who would give a seed of discord, a seed of separation, a seed of strife within the congregation. We might call them instigators. They would find themselves in the congregation looking like church folk, but their explicit purpose in there was to cause separation, to cause to divide. They were gossipers. They were backbiters. They were those who came in to get the church to fight among themselves. Because Balaam understood this principle, that God's hand was on the Israelites. And the only way that the Israelites would be defeated is if they defeated themselves. The church is just like that. The church is like the Israelites in that the church will not be defeated because the church has God inside of them. You must first bind the strong man before you take the strong man's house and nobody can bind God. So the Nicolaitans realize that the only way to stop the church is to cause them to stop themselves. How would they stop themselves? They would stop themselves by talking about one another and mistreating one another and saying all manners of evil against one another. Finding opportunity to pick out something that was weak in another brother and make it known to many. They were there to cause discord. And if they could get the church to turn on themselves, then they would have the victory. So here is a warning for us as we deal with this to watch out for how we pick on one another. Watch out on how we look at one another and just because we all don't do things the way we ought to think that we would do them does not mean that what we're doing is wrong. And even if it is wrong, Picking on one another and talking about one another won't solve the problem at all. But what it does is it slows down the church. It immobilizes the church so the church cannot move in the way God would have us to move. And so I come back to our fourth verse. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. See, here is the problem. In all of the good things that they were doing, their patience, their laboring, their works, their dealing with the Nicolaitans and preventing that kind of strife from coming in, they lost their first love. You remember your first human love. You remember how excited you were about being with that first love. How you couldn't wait 
to see him or her about the hours couldn't move fast enough when you were separated so that you could get back together again. If you were in school, you were looking to get up in the morning. If you were riding a bus or walking or your parents were taking you to school, as soon as you get there, you were hoping before you had to go to class that you see your first love. You were concerned about your first love, wanting to see them and wanting to be in their presence. And so when we look at our text here, out of all of the good things that the Ephesian church was doing, they wasn't so happy about seeing God. They had gotten to the point where they had their legislation, they had their laws, they had their liturgy, and that they did church the way church ought to be done, but they left out the energy, the emotion, the intimacy that they wanted for God. You do know that you can do church and it can look Bible-based, but the one thing that can be missing is your energy and excitement for God. You can do all these things, but the church is not the church unless it's in love with God. Unless it wants to talk with him and walk with him and it wants to be with him and have that presence all the time. Then wake up in the morning and say, God, be with me. God, strengthen me. God, show me your presence. Because when that happens, the church becomes the church. Because what had happened here is the church had become stoic. It had become methodical. It had become a church that could do the things, but the spirit of what needed to be there was missing. And so we must be careful, church, in order to be what God wants us to be. We've got to have that intimacy with God. Because when you're in love with God, other folks can see it. When you're out in the streets and out in the communities, when you're on your job, when you got that kind of love for God, folks can see it. They can see the spiritual goosebumps of you loving the Lord. And I contend to you today that that kind of love for God is infectious. Because when the world sees that much love for God, they're going to want to know something about this God that you love. But if you're all about mythology and you're all about methods and you're all about liturgy alone, that's not enough. If you're all about doctrine, you're all about apologetics, that's not enough. You must love God. And you must not just love him any old kind of way, but love him the way you love your first love. Love him with all your heart and all your mind. Love the Lord with that ooey-gooey kind of love that you just want to be in his presence. That you want to talk about him all the time. You want to lift up his name and you want to praise him and give him glory wherever you are. You want to talk about how good he is. You talk about him being the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Joshua's Malax. But most 
ecstatic love for him. And then the world might know that there is a reality in serving the true and living God. I don't know about you, but on nothing else but Jesus Christ I stand. All around me is sinking sand, but on the solid rock I stand. I have nothing in my hand, but his righteousness is in my plan. Hallelujah. Praise his holy name. And I'm just so happy.
Hallelujah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. He's worthy. Wonderful. Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. And the Prince of Peace. He is the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. Ain't that good news? opening the doors of the church. Amen. Amen. If there's anybody here who doesn't know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as the one who hung, bled, and died for your sins. Right now you can get to know him today. The good news is if you don't have a lot of money everything's alright because Jesus paid it all. The Bible lets us know that the silver and the gold is the Lord's. And he's already taken care of the bill. You just come. You just come as a special guest who will get a chance to be part of his family. He has open seats. You'll never be the last one. But you can be the one today. Harden not your heart while you hear the word of the Lord. For the day is the day of salvation. You can get to know him today. He is the savior of the world. And he has given his life so that you might live. Ain't that good news that Jesus died so that we might live? Wretches undone. Knowing we ain't fit to live, but we showing up to ain't fit to die. But Jesus. I love the words, but Jesus. He saw past our faults and he saw our need. And if there's anybody today who doesn't know him, you can get to know him today. That old ship of Zion is at the shore. And you just need to get on board. Ain't no danger in them waters. And it's already landed many a thousand. Because Jesus is the captain. Hallelujah. ship
on board. We're going to have safe passage. Amen. 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 And if there all minds and hearts are clear, let us prepare for our offering and our benediction. Amen. Amen. And it's my hope and prayer today that if we have lost that fire of that first love of Jesus Christ, that energy and that anticipation of seeing him every day, not just on Sunday, not just on Wednesday, but every day, let us repent, as the Lord said, from where we have fallen and get back that first love energy that we want Jesus every day of our life. Amen? Amen. Let us stand. Where he leads me about you, O oh God. Lord, that is infectious as it was when we had our first love on this earth, O oh God. Lord, thank you. We remember if we look back on how it was when we were first saved, how excited we were about Jesus Christ, how excited we were about our new life. We wanted to tell everybody, mama and daddy, brothers and sisters, friends and foes. So Lord, help us to get back to our first love. Lord, help us to repent and turn from our docile ways, oh God. Let us get back to energy and exuberance and excitement all about you so that the world may know that there is a reality in serving the true and living God. And Lord, as we prepare our hearts to give, oh God, Lord, I ask that you continue to bless us, oh God. Continue to anoint our heads with fresh oil, oh God. And Lord, use this offering as you would have it to be used for the edification of your church, for equipping in ministry that we might go out into your harvest. Because Lord, you said your harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. So Lord, have mercy on us today and give us what we need to get excited about serving you again, oh God, about telling about the goodness of the relationship that we have with you. And Lord, we want to be so careful to give you all the praise and all the glory. These things 
we ask in the blessed name of Jesus and the whole church saying, Amen. God bless you and God keep you. Please be seated and obey the ushers. Amen.